0: Hello and welcome to Gamer to Gamer. I'm your host James Incaso. This is a podcast where I interview pros in the gaming industry about their careers and the games they love to play. Today, we've got two guests, Rob Hainsu and Jonathan Tweet. These guys are the creators of 13th Age. They've also worked on Dungeons and Dragons and a whole bunch of other RPGs, board games, and card games that you love. This is one of my favorite interviews ever. I had so much fun talking to both of these guys. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. All right, I can't wait, so we're going to roll that interview right now. Okay, everybody, now I am here with two... Game Design Legends, the minds behind 13th Age, behind some of your favorite editions of Dungeons and Dragons and many other cool games, products that we are going to talk about. I'm here with uh Jonathan Tweet and Rob Heinsoo. Hi. Hey guys, how are you? Hello. Good. Well, thank you. How are you? For- so much for coming on the show i'm great uh thank you for asking so nobody ever asked that that's awesome um and i want to know uh from from you guys They just assume
1: from your smooth mellifluous voice that you are host wonderful <laughs> Brett Jonathan, wants to know are you in are you in shape for the show are you <laughs> ready <I'm> ready <laughs> are you okay
0: i'm pumped i'm very very pumped to uh to have you both on gamer to gamer this is really really exciting for me um and a lot of listeners out there love you guys mike shea has sort of introduced everybody and gotten them on the 13th age train um you know and and i am happy to be rolling down the tracks with them uh but before we get to 13th age uh, could you both take me all the way back to the first time that you laid hands on a tabletop role-playing game. Wow. Rob, if you want to go first and then Jonathan can go, we can do it that way. He's older. I am. <laughs> uh,
1: 1974, I was in sixth grade, I think, and uh, maybe fifth. Don't remember which. Um, I was living in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Already buying war games from a mail-order war game shop. Um, games. Um, that was in that was connected to the old TSR and so I knew that Dungeons and Dragons was coming out really early got really excited and bought it right away so I got the original brown box um as a 10 year old and I i mean I've told the story other places but realistically I could understand about um 25 of the rules I think really I understood <laughs> I'd never seen a d20 and or knew that polyhedral dice existed. And there were lots of other problems like that. So I, I sort of improvised a combat system using a book called The War Game that my dad had bought me. It was a Napoleonic's um, war game rules that he bought me at the Fort Leavenworth Military Library. And so I improvised that and made up wizards and made up a dungeon and killed some of my friends. And uh, that was... So I had the original brown box. And I I think really, though, the first time i played later on within a year we'd moved to um oregon and, and i bought a copy of melee after like getting a copy of the space gamer magazine and uh the steve jackson hand to hand combat game that really that sort of turned into the fantasy trip and then turned into gurps but melee was just great and when i was playing melee I all of a sudden realized, oh my God, I think Dungeons and Dragons was really supposed to make sense. I think there might actually be a rule system here. So I went back and read it and then sort of came around to realizing, oh, it, it it's totally different than I thought. No more Napoleonic system. So anyway, nice. yeah, that's my story.
2: Uh, so I got the original basic set in 1977 for Christmas. My dad was a professor at a little liberal arts college. And so he knew students who were playing it. And, um, and, yeah, it was, uh, you know, full color and glorious. And, um, you know, the wizard on the cover looks sort of like a college student, not some old, you know,
1: <laughs> wizard.
2: <right? laughs> and, uh, but
1: like, oh, God. Right? One of the Wait, cool older so, guys. so your parents were okay with you having it? You just told them, Dad, it's like
2: graduate <sighs> I'm already you know, he, he, his students had talked it up to him and, you know, he knew it had something It was some sort of literary character portrayal, some kind of thing. And so, yeah,
1: I had the opposite pole. My parents became, they, they managed to phrase things. They were Christian, very Christian. Mm -hmm. And it was a worry. It was a fear. So I, I definitely had the, uh, the concerned parents. So I basically, um, I had to hide copies of a lot of, of oh, oh, the covers. Funny. Like RuneQuest and yeah. RuneQuest and cults of prax and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh
2: man, the word cults is not gonna appear in this household. <laughs> so yeah. So that's it Christmas, I got another tabletop game and that was Starship Troopers. Oh like, the big box game, right? With hexes and chips and whatever. Was there? Okay. Yeah, and so those rules actually made sense. Like they <laughs> right. Uh, the, the basic D&D rules, like, I don't know what is going on there. You got a college student to, like, look at it, and they tried to figure it out, and that, no, it was... So then, funny thing about Starship
1: Troopers' game is you actually sort of draw, you draw underground complexes on graph yeah, paper. Yeah, you do
2: draw underground complexes on X-paper, yeah, yeah. That's right.
0: Wow, that's really cool. So you guys have a, even from the time you were young, a wide berth of different role-playing games that you were playing.
2: Yeah, well, see, the the other thing was, back then, TSR figured they would just keep doing new games instead of piling onto D&D and doing D&D support material. So they kept coming out with new stuff, like Metamorphosis Alpha and whatever. Yeah. On Guard. Yeah, and then, uh, like, like Rob, I got Space Gamer, and it told me how cool RuneQuest was, so I got RuneQuest. That was 78. Might have been 79, but early. Yeah, yeah. Yeah there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on there was a game store in the town and it was there were all sorts of weird you know a lot of them sort of self published or what what you know the early D&D stuff looked sort of self published right like it was it was all very um Empire of the Fallen
1: Throne like was the um you know That was the exception That was sort of like the the big box, the, yeah. oh my God, this is a deluxe product
2: yeah, yeah. With,
1: with more quality components campaign, right? than anyone has ever seen before. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I I sort of had grown-up role-playing introduced to me by two people who came, I don't know, I put an ad up. Yeah. I got two players. They turned out to be graduate students who liked Emperor of the Pedal Throne. And when they started playing and I was having them draw little scraps of paper out of a cup, yeah, they, they introduced me to polyhedral
2: dice. Yay! Shock. So, yeah. yeah. Welcome. Yeah, boy, so, to but M.A.R.
1: Barker managed to you know get to do that big game right off the bat, and at I the same know, time, right? and really, right about the same time, Greg Stafford was uh, doing his own game, yep. which was White Bear and Red Moon. Yeah, uh, a
2: war game. Yep. Um, not a role-playing game. Wow. So, yeah, I'm was, a big. Acapella fan too. Back from the days, you know, Empire of the Pedal Throne. What am I? What am I? Last, my last non-commercial campaign, ah! Empire of the Pedal Throne. <laughs> oh my god!
1: Campaign. I'm laughing because we had. We had a, um, it turned out that one member of our gaming group was unable to role play in the sense that they could not be part of a society that had actual social strictures.
2: <laughs> right? Which is, the world of Techamel has all these very tightly constrained social roles, and that was supposed to be part of the fun. Turned out Jonathan was running a game where the, uh,
1: the dungeon was no rules at all. <laughs> yeah. and the, the surface world, rules, 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 rules. But <laughs> – Really, all player characters should have been impaled on <laughs> giant just, just role breakers. stakes within, yep. you know. And so, yeah, that campaign, it was more a psychology exam of our <laughs> gaming group than it was an actual game. <laughs> <laughs> <Anyway>,
0: yeah. <laughs> So what point then did you make the leap to professional game designer? You know, a a lot of people when they come on this show say like, oh, well, I just sort of fell into it. Was it something that you pursued that you actually wanted to do? Was it something that uh, you found out? You know, how did that go?
2: For me in college in the the 80s, I tried to get stuff published in magazines and whatever. I got – fatigue rules for RuneQuest third edition publishing Heroes (laughs) Magazine or something. Really? Yeah. Oh god. I know. (laughs) Those were terrible. I wait, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It was RuneQuest three, baby. Um and uh but didn't really didn't have much success. And then when I was facing graduating and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life and had no job skills, uh my good friend uh Convinced me to plow my inheritance into uh, from a, from a recently deceased grandmother into uh, uh, starting a game company. Mm-hmm. So we bought a Macintosh SE with a twenty meg hard drive. Can you imagine how big that was? Mm-hmm. And that cost three <laughs> thousand five hundred dollars. Oh boy! That yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> wow! All right. Yeah, and then and then we founded. America and you know, he went on to do vampire and that kind of stuff, and I went on to do a bunch of weird stuff in D and D, and yeah. But yeah, it was so it, you did it consciously. You it were, was you, right. you were a full yeah. I right. don't know what I'm doing, so I might as well do something really cool. Nice, huh. nice. And Rob,
1: uh, probably more the fell into it category. I decided that I really wanted to write, and I was working like I'd spend two hours a day every day writing, so um, just as a discipline. And um, But I wasn't publishing anything, and I had some rejection notices, but not that many. I really wasn't trying that hard. But I wrote for a fanzine – well, I'm trying to publish, I mean. I wrote for a gaming fanzine called Alerts and Excursions sometimes, and that's where I met Jonathan. Because he and uh, Reinhagen showed up in Alerts and Excursions and were like, yeah. Ha-ha, we understand gaming! <laughs> <laughs> we're going <laughs> to teach you something! Yes, we're going to show you now! <laughs> we're going to show the world! <laughs> And I was like, "Huh." <laughs> well, that's kind of a uh, audacious start. Uh, and then a little while later, Jonathan did "Over the Edge," yeah, uh, which I really liked. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. I started corresponding with Jonathan after he had done that, just sending postcards. Yeah, and um, and so what happened for me is because I'd been writing for A and E, and I think what I wrote for "Labyrinths and Excursions" was I don't know was interesting. Yeah, uh, people like Scott Benny and Robin Laws. Yep. Um, started using me as a uh, uh, call it a, but in baseball, when you have to switch a hitter in, Pinch at hitter. yeah, well, no, yeah, pitch hitter sort of like when, or a pitcher for reliever. a couple innings reliever mm-hmm. so that, you know, because they would like, Oh, I've got too much work and I have to do this adventure. Can you, can you do this? And I'd be like, uh, yeah, I think I can. And so really by, for me, it was by accident. And I think what happened luckily for me, truthfully, was that um, the industry's changed. Um, at that time in my life, there was no way that I was ready to be a role-playing game writer. I wrote too slowly, and I wrote... I didn't write fast enough. I mean, I, it took me too long. But collectible card games via magic entered mm. the market yeah. right about the time I was starting to work. And it turned out that really nobody who'd been working in gaming actually knew how to do collectible card right. games. any better than i did and i actually turned out to be decent at it
2: i mean rob has a really good eye for you know the sort of skill set of doing the the cool cards that are effective and they're interesting to play and interesting to think about or you know it it, that comes up a a lot in his board games and card games so
1: yeah so i got to i got to i actually i was one of the play testers for uh Uh, on the edge edge, and um and then that led to playtesting uh, Shadowfest, yep. which led to designing Shadowfest, yeah, and, you know. And so, yeah, yeah. so for me, that's what happened. I think if if card games hadn't come along, my road to, like, being in the gaming industry might have been a, a lot or not happening. Yeah,
0: yeah. Basically. You you both worked on editions of Dungeons & Dragons. Why don't we talk about that real fast, um, yeah. if there is a way to talk about that real quick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what was it like uh, working on D&D? <laughs> Well, we have different experiences. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, I don't know this question. Let me think. Hold on. Yeah, go ahead. You answer, and I'll think of a short answer. Right. <laughs> so, so like in in my experience, there was the second edition game that nobody played straight anymore mm-hmm. because nobody really liked the rules. Mm-hmm. Where the, you know, the fan base had been split among all these different worlds, and you know there there wasn't any energy left in it, and what have you, and um. A president of the company, Peter Atkinson, who uh, really loved D&D and wanted to make this work right, so we put top people on it in marketing and and um, what have you. I'd like to think he put top people on it in game design too since he assigned me to be the lead designer. Um, and uh, so we had lots of time. We did lots of playtests. We, we were bringing something that the players really needed, which was – um, a coherent D and system that feels like D and D, but plays better than second edition. And, um, and then everyone can sort of get behind. And so that was like, everything came together like magic to make that really, really cool. I liked working with uh, Monty and Skip and I just loved working on the game. Right. Like I honestly had not been a big fan of D and D really since 79 or so. when I, uh, thought RuneQuest was the bee's knees, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and a lot of the streamlining and unification that uh, RuneQuest taught me, you know, you see that in the systems for Ars Magica or, or Third Edition or what have you. That that um, things are nicely regimented and and uh, uh, coherent. And you know, maybe I think in Third Edition we went a little too far in regimenting things, <laughs> um, but but it was. Yeah, overall, it was a smashing, smashing success, and just a great, great game to work on.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was a, a great game to play. Um, you know, and I, I think uh, there was a whole revolution, uh, sort of the the industry. You know, uh, yeah. there was a big boom when Third Edition came out.
2: Uh, well, the, the, yeah, the D twenty uh, license made a big difference, and the Open Gaming license made a big difference for the industry because <clears throat> overnight instead of everybody at Gen Con trying to get you to stop playing D&D and play their game instead, now everyone was trying to get you to play more D&D and buy their D20 supplement. And so, you know, the there was a, yeah, was a huge, huge, I mean, it's just what Ryan Dancy, the he was the guy, um, brand manager who ran it, you know, just w- exactly what he predicted. If you get a bunch of people all doing the same thing, then you'll have this really virtuous cycle where, People will be able to afford to produce good adventures because there are so many people who are playing that game or what have you, and it worked really well. So I think that talking about fourth edition is—it's an
1: interest. I it, it came it comes out as a in the long run as an interesting design, as as a game design. Thirteenth Age accomplishes what I really want to have out of a and D game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a personal situation. You know, that's my personal taste and what I would personally design. You don't really get to. Well I did not get to design personal game when sure. I was at Wizard. Yeah. Um, you know it's like answering all kinds of uh corporate needs and yeah. and uh and I think that I don't want to go into those deeply, but let me just res- you know i'll just like i'll just i'll just I'll just follow up on what Jonathan said about the um you know Ryan Dancy setting up the o g l and getting everybody to play the same way. Um, the business effort of fourth edition intended to not have an o g l yeah, know, and, and tried to right. kill it. That type of misunderstanding of the audience, right? And, and that's that's what created Pathfinder and willful self sabotage. Yeah. you mm-hmm. know, uh, yeah. was pretty ridiculously taxing to deal with. Uh, yeah. in in the company, and uh, in fact, I I did not find the entire the fourth edition process in terms of dealing with the the like sort of the big global picture whereas mm-hmm. the third edition picture was clear and yeah. clear and direct and um, and, and and visionary yeah. the fourth edition one was a muddle and a mess and completely wrong-headed and lying to itself so 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 to speak and so really I'm I've been really really glad to um, be able to I mean also I mean I learned a ton yeah. in that position yeah and so uh when we've gone ahead and designed 13th age together you know sometimes i'm rather abashed by realizing oh <laughs> if i tried to do something that's for fourth edition i remember how badly i screwed up you know yeah. whereas with 13th yeah. age it's like okay we get to do it the way we want the mistakes are our own yeah um, and they're what we've agreed on um but we also get to go ahead and when we have an
2: interesting wacky weird and wonderful idea we get to do it yeah and been really fun fourth edition had some problems but it had some really nice advances mm-hmm. that a lot of players never encountered because they you know didn't play fourth edition because of its issues and so it, I'm really happy that with 13th age we can keep some of the stuff that was really good about fourth edition and and you know keep it alive and give it some new Yeah, yeah,
0: new life. Well, that's what I was going to say is, you know, I had a great time playing fourth edition. I played two full campaigns or, you know, ran two full campaigns, levels one through 30 both times. Um, Oh, wow. wow. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a blast. It was a blast to run. And there were some really, really great things. And that's one of the things that I love about 13th Age. Uh, all of those things that were great ideas seem to have made it into 13th Age in the way that a lot of the great ideas from other editions of D&D are in there, as well as some really awesome things that are wholly 13th Ages. You know, um, the I- the one unique thing, uh, the icon rolls, those sorts of things, I think, are inspired and Really, really fun to use at the table and great during character creation, they just enhance the game and, and really get to the core of what role playing is about. So how did thirteenth age come about uh, you know what, what was sort of the the idea behind like let 's come together and make our version of a d20 based fantasy um, medieval role playing game
2: I mean it really sort of was Rob and I were both free to work on a new project, you know, neither one of us working for a corporation at that point. And we thought, what is the best we could, you know, here we are, lead lead designer third edition, lead designer fourth edition. We've done miniatures games, card games, right? We know each other really well. We can, can communicate really fast about uh high-end topics. We, we Yeah, the, and oddly enough, we've got we got to work together on a
1: many projects at Wizards. Uh because of doing miniatures mainly. Yeah. Uh, doing D&D miniatures, chainmail miniatures, dreamblade miniatures, uh and probably a game that wasn't published. Yeah. So, yeah, we 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 were sort of we had our sort of uh, workflow together worked out. And we also played on Wednesday nights. And um yeah, that group goes back to 1999. Yeah? Yeah. And uh wow. I wanted to, I mean, we both wanted to go ahead. When we, when we said it out loud, we were like, well, let's design the game we want to play on Wednesday night. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we should do. <laughs> uh, and so that's what we did. Yeah. It turns out that tonight is Thursday night instead of Wednesday, and the, the people will be coming over. But, yeah, there it is. So yeah. once we had that realization of, like, well, because, really, Jonathan, you know, Third edition was great, and we had an amazing campaign with yeah. Jonathan as Game Master, but he had to do a lot of work yeah. <laughs> to get some of those things correct. And it, it was, uh, you know, and, and really, we I don't want to play third edition right now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> really. uh, but 13th Age suits the sort of um, easier to set up yeah. and improvise. Yep. Faster. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yep. More player. And yeah. More we're player driven. Yeah, the 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 big thing about third edition is that the the per day effects are not balanced with the at will effects. Mm-hmm. And so mm. yeah. Like how how powerful is a spellcaster? Well, the question is how many fights does he have to be in before they get to re-up all their spells? Exactly. If they do once, if they do one fight per day, the spellcasters are super powerful. And if it's eight fights per day, they they're not any good anymore. So, you, right there's there's no real if you push a game hard, if push a system hard. There's it's really hard for there to be balance between the player characters. <laughs> And the spellcasters are always pressuring to rest earlier so they get their stuff back, which makes them more powerful. And it's, you know, it all becomes at some point <laughs> you succeed or fail based on how many fights the game master makes you have between rests. Right. <laughs> and so now it's, a, it's not how good the players are, how tough the opposition is. It's it's just this arbitrary number. But for a lot of people, that social contract is
1: something they're you know yeah there's
2: so much going on that people don't see barely what like i look at it and i see under the hood and i see exactly what's going on on a <laughs> meta mechanical level right and i can't not see that anymore oh yeah right <laughs> I can't. I can't just play right. and have fun without seeing the what, what the gears are doing underneath. And so, if that doesn't work, I'm, it's hard for me to take it seriously.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm the same way when I watch television now. Um, you yeah. know, I, I used to uh, be uh, able yeah. to
2: just enjoy a
0: TV show, and now I I pick it apart in my brain, even when yep. I'm you know, even when I'm trying to turn that off, it's still going on. So I I totally understand uh, what's going on in in your brain. Um, yep. So uh, this is kind of a sidebar, but when you guys play in your game nights, who runs the game? Do you both run? Do you, you know, like switch on and off? Who's uh, running the game?
2: Uh, Lately, it's been me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's him and sometimes it's me. And it depends on what we're running and why and yeah. where we are in the process. But it's usually one of the two of us.
1: And bizarrely, every time we've had a campaign that goes for a long time, if... If I start the campaign, Jonathan runs the whole thing. I take it over. And if Jonathan starts it, I run the. I take it over. So that's yeah. what's happening right now. This is a game that Jonathan started. Yeah, but now I've been running it. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> maybe we'll trade off that way. So, yeah.
2: Well, Rob um, has his, more. Rob has more campaign starts. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if somebody is starting a campaign, it's more likely to be him. But I I have the the record for longest running most most you know sessions in a campaign or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. no compete, no yeah. compete.
2: Well, that was like a five year campaign. <laughs> was it five might have been six. Yeah, it might have been six.
0: You know, it's it's great to hear you guys talk, and I love that you're both here because it, one of the cool things in the Thirteenth Age Core Rulebook is there are these little sidebars, um, right. Some are from you, Jonathan. Some are from you, yep. Rob, and th- they even say,
1: Jonathan, you ignorant slut." Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. They'll even say things like, "Well, you know, this is how Jonathan does it, but I prefer to do it this way," or, or vice yeah. versa. Um, I yeah. love that because it's so helpful as a as a game master and as a player when you're running a game, interpreting a rule that you know has sort of more right. than one way to right. to go. Um, so, what is it like? designing with a partner? Because I feel like most people, you know, design kind of solo and then turn it into an editor or a corporation who then, you know, says, all right, we're going to change this, this and this. So what's it like when you're actually working with someone all the time on something as big as 13th age?
1: Well, I'm gonna, I can say something. Jonathan is the only collaborator who I've had, who I can always know that when he takes something I have written, if he goes ahead and revises it and rewrites it and adds pieces, mm-hmm. I'll be happy. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's, he's going to get it, get what I, and, and I, and I suppose I really haven't worked with that many people that closely, you know, in a way, but I can tell you that's not, it's a very rare thing to have that level of no, we understand what the other one's moving, aiming for and know how to make it better. Yeah. Um, and I think that goes both ways. I think but, so, It's right? very, yeah. very rare that, like we won't, you know, you see us arguing in the sidebars, mm-hmm. but in the core rule book, you know, there were a few places we actually really did disagree. Yeah. Um. So when it comes to rules, what will frequently happen is we'll have, one of us will write a pass on the rule and we'll both agree on it and play it for a while. And then one or the other will be like, man, yeah, I don't know if I like this. I don't think I like this. And at that stage, it'll be, then we end up talking. And right. it may be 15 minutes, it may be two hours, you know, of of just really halving through something. And we'll nearly always have some solution yeah. by the end of that process.
2: So, yeah, go ahead. I know it's really, really hard to work with a partner. We had a, when we were doing a dual, um, our DreamBlade, uh, we had a third guy that was working with us and we just didn't, oh. We we couldn't get off the ground we didn't didn't have enough didn't see things the same way or couldn't communicate right or whatever, we had a third guy with us when we were starting thirteenth age, and the sort of same thing happened. It's like well, you're at least smart and creative or whatever, but you don't you don't get us and and what you know the conversation that Rob and I are having you're yeah, you're sort of left out of it because we know what we're talking about <laughs> we just we spent so much time together gaming together and working on stuff, right, so he was playtesting – third edition for me. And I was playing testing fourth edition for him. And right. Like it's, you know, now we have just built up this giant fund of uh, trust and goodwill and mutual understanding and what have you. So, you know, it, it would be hard to, I mean, I couldn't work like this with anybody else.
0: So give me the elevator pitch on 13th age. If there are listeners out there who have yet to try this game and they should definitely go check it out because right there, there is an SRD for this one. People can totally get their hands on the rules, try it out. Uh, I recommend buying a core rule book to support these guys. Um, so, uh, but but what would you say? Like, how is it different? Why should people check out 13th age?
2: So, um, so sort of the two halves uh, of the game, the two things that we're doing is mechanically it's faster. Um, you just have more fun per minute playing 13th age because it runs faster and what's going on is cooler and it's streamlined. And then on the other hand, um, the character creation material, the, the degree to which you customize your character and even the whole campaign uh, really sets the, game apart where you your creative input to the to your character and to the plot and to the world your your creative input is way bigger than in um a, a standard you know your and d game or pathfinder or what have you the kind of creativity you have for describing your character what your character could do and their skills and what sets them apart from everybody else like it's it's a um it's like now that we've grown up and we know how to role play better we can do things that are more daring and uh, a bigger idea right like if you had given me something when i was 12 it would have been hard for me to you know make up the stuff that i could make up today but it's but so yeah.
1: i have to admit that my one of my giant weaknesses is elevator pitches I hate him. <laughs> I hate making him. Yeah. I suck at him. But if I let Jonathan go ahead and talk for a little while, I can like sort of think about one and come up with one. And uh, my elevator pitch, if I have to tell somebody about 13th age, is to say, this is a Dungeons & Dragons style game uh, by the, designers, the lead designers of 3rd edition and 4th edition D&D. So people who are experienced. Uses the familiar rules of D&D and the familiar archetypes of fantasy is full of systems that are either borrowed or inspired by indie gaming to help players and GMs create unique campaigns that they are most excited about from the very first session. And, you know, and I get that a lot. I get people telling me, oh my God, our first session of 13th age was as deep and rich as, you know, it it took seven sessions of our other game to get to that point. And so that, that's, that's closer to what my elevator pitch is. Realistically, I probably
2: need a better elevator pitch. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so I want to try again. Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's, it's like B, E only faster and more creative. <laughs> right. yeah. You know, that's a very short ride. <laughs>
1: that only we did not get all the way
0: to the penthouse, sir. You're right. <laughs> but that's great, <laughs> and you know, I think I think. No, you, don't say it slow. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you're right. There are so many. Cool little pieces of this game that that come together to make a really rich, satisfying experience that if you've ever played D&D before, or even if you haven't, it's a it's a great game to pick up. You feel like an awesome hero um, when you're playing yeah. through it. You, you actually finish campaigns when you're playing yeah. through it, uh, which I think is another big thing for people. Um, so yeah. it's really awesome. And now you guys have just finished up a huge project. Why don't you tell people a little bit about that?
1: Well, one of the reasons that Jonathan and I sort of start on the same foot, design-wise, is that we both loved the game RuneQuest, and probably we both loved the world it was set in, Glorantha, more than the game itself, even. And uh, Glorantha was created by Greg Stafford, and uh, he started writing some stories about it in the 60s, um, and games were published in the 70s. And there have been several other role-playing games that use it, um, RuneQuest, HeroQuest, uh, various versions of them and uh jonathan and i have always loved glorantha and it's sort of strange coincidence that when i was working on the king of dragon pass game my game master in a hero quest game uh who who was also the game master for my boss while i was helping work on king of dragon pass that's was jeff richard and neil robinson was in that group and jeff and neil are now two-thirds of well of the pe- or behalf of the four people who've bought Chaosium, and they run Glorantha. Greg Stafford has really signed Jeff off as the creative lead um, now. And yeah, he's
2: been he has been working on Glorantha for a long for a time. Long Jeff time Richard,
1: Jeff yeah. has, and so so Jeff was a friend, and when I left that group and went on to Wizards, and then really started designing and publishing more games, you know, years later, publishing Thirteenth Age, Jeff invited invited us to go ahead and do Glorantha for 13th age. And yes, the answer is yes, Yes. we we both jumped at the chance. I I was thinking that today, actually, I was thinking, all right, I remember uh, where I was half my lifetime ago, yeah. And if you had told me that I was not only coming to play Glorantha tonight, yeah. but also playing it in the system that I had designed, I know, that would have right. been like, what? What? <laughs> what? Not, not possible. Uh, so <laughs> Glorantha is a very rich world, um, yeah. heavily based on mythology and religion and powerful relationships uh, between heroes, gods, and the myths that show you how heroes should act. Uh, it's It really influenced 13th Age to begin with, and that's part of the reason why it was such an easy transition for us to go ahead and write two hundred and forty three thousand words
2: yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah it's a really big challenge to take this you know deep, rich world with a lot you know all these cultures and histories and mythologies and you know multiple perspectives on everything and then make that all playable in sort of like high action. But we uh, had to go ahead and not
1: do all that detail, yeah. in fact, because right. like the idea with 13th Age is a half designed world that people can put their own spin on. And so what we had to do was just
2: hit the high points, Right. Like just. Yeah, but, exactly. But, so but, picking what to bring in. Yep. Right. And what to leave out. And yeah, big, mm-hmm. big challenge. Lots of fun.
0: Nice. Yeah. Well, and you really approached it with gusto then if you've written almost 250,000 words (laughs) uh, (laughs) for it. So it's clear that you, you have a a passion for this. Uh, What can 13th age fans expect when they play, Uh, you know, what's going to be different and new uh, about playing in this world? The first big thing is that 13th age is structured around the icons
1: and, uh, icon relationships as sort of a storytelling uh, in it, you know, improvisation drivers and uh GM aid to like tell what the story is going with. And th- there are no icons in Glorantha. Instead there are gods and the gods have runes and runes. We chose 20 runes as the really powerful building blocks uh, that help tell particular stories
2: and characters have runic ru- yeah, so these runes are like, you know, air, death, and beast, you know, sort of primal archetypes. Yep. And
1: so that experience is different starting out. Uh, Other than that, characters are actually built pretty much the same. The whole idea of having all these new characters, classes in the book is anyone could go ahead and take those characters and play them in the regular Dragon Empire. Yeah. It's entirely possible. They're same math. Uh, same sets of, of of concepts, but you do
2: get all new classes, new new races, new new variants on old classes. Ton of new monsters, really cool monsters and crazy effects. Uh, I think that the the storyline we chose. I mean, I, if people
1: know Glorantha, they can play any way they want because it's a giant world, and there's so many interesting different campaigns that are possible. Um, for people who are new to the world, we try to like make it so that you don't have to know that much by showing the world breaking down. It's a moment when the wars have become between the the, the empires and the heroes have grown so powerful that basically reality is unraveling, yeah. fraying so, apart. So sort of mid apocalypse, yeah, mid apocalypse and chaos. Yeah. Basically, Heroes Confronting Chaos is the sort of the short version of what the campaign's about. And when you do a monster fighting campaign like that and a let's stop reality from breaking down campaign, it's less important to know all the details of what these places looked like when they actually were intact and not
2: burning and covered with maggots. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about all the continuity if you don't want to, right? Like, there's a ton of continuity for uh, Glorantha and all these other source books for the Glorantha fans who want it. And for the new players, you don't really need it. Yeah, and we sort of, you know, our hope is that
1: when people enjoy the character classes and are intrigued by the monsters and die fighting the Crimson Bat, that yeah. they'll want to know, you know, what's going on with that um, <laughs> and and learn more. But. But we also had to design it so that that wasn't an absolute necessity. I mean, for example, uh, Jonathan, give the example of Runic Geography, which was an awful lot of fun to do.
2: We took a map of sort of the main area that uh, play will be in, and you know, in instead of really uh, thoroughly going through every single point and what have you, we like Rob had mentioned earlier, we sort of hit the highlights, and each um, each piece on the map that we did is associated with a rune like darkness or or air or beast or what have you and so um so we sort of got to show how these primal runes that are behind the function of the universe um sort also of manifest in patterns world. yeah in the game world. Yep. But and then more than that,
1: instead of just saying, okay, this is what this place is like we then followed that up with, and here's all a, a short list of truly terrible things that hopefully won't happen. Oh, yes, they are. You know, so instead of sort of showing a status quo world, exactly. we're trying to tell people from the beginning that this is a world
2: that you should be tinkering with. Right. The stuff that we wrote down is just the beginning, and then the game master, you know, takes it to the to the next level with whatever the details are. Yeah.
0: Nice, nice. I like that a lot. I can't wait to to check out this book. It sounds amazing. So um, I'm yeah. really, really excited to get my hands on it. I know our time is running short. Is there yeah. anything else you guys have that you want to uh, plug or talk about um, before we wrap up?
2: I, I want to quickly say that we make fun of Rob because once when I was searching a body for treasure, <laughs> the, it blew up on me. And then I found the treasure, and I took damage. And then uh, you know, the treasure was a healing potion. You know what? So you didn't even tell the Steve. You're, you're <laughs> because you're not even telling the story right. do so I
1: have to tell the story about my own quickly. Uh,
2: <laughs> I, I, like, I decided I
1: like, to go ahead and like try the mechanics where you actually roll for treasure, like as a shorthand. Mm-hmm. So I told Jonathan, "Hey." Everybody, you're all going to roll for treasure. Jonathan, you first. Yeah, rolling for treasure. That's right. He rolled for treasure, and I asked him what he specifically did. And he said, well, you know, I rifled through their, you know, whatever. And and I'm like, okay, well, the snake that's hidden up, somehow I lost track that I was supposed to be just giving him things. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just couldn't help it. The snake that was hidden in the sleeves bit him. You know, and I. Oh, saw that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you took damage, and then you found a healing potion. Yeah. And so basically, now when the when I use the word treasure, yeah, players begin mocking you, ducking and mocking. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> I love oh, that. Dude.
0: Well, that's you're you're my kind of game master. Then uh, if if the players yeah, fear when you give treasure, I mean. I
2: don't know. No pushover, either. <laughs> uh, I also want to plug Grandmother Fish. It's yes. the book that I self-published last year. It's the first book to teach evolution to preschoolers. I love. And it. And I uh, raised money for Kickstarter in 2014 and published it in 2015 and sold out. And now this September, Macmillan is going to uh, release a second edition. Big, big time. What month? September. September.
0: Wow! Okay. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah, thank you and and may i also add uh, on a personal note a very worthy cause so evolution's thank important yeah. people should believe yeah. in science um that's
2: science <laughs> education yep yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah so uh thank you for uh for putting that out i think that's going to be yeah, yeah. Uh, great and i can't wait to buy it for i have some nieces and nephews uh so it's uh it's on the list they're going to be getting that book for sure
2: you could can, can, you can pre-order grandmother fish right now on um uh, on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble and on Macmillan's own website. So
0: awesome. Well, and we'll link yeah. it up, uh, over in, in the show notes at the dot com. If people want to, uh, one stop shopping for all things, 13th age, grandmother fish. Uh, and what about, what about you? If people want to, uh, reach you to, to sing your praises online, uh, where can they go to do that?
2: So I'm on, uh, Google plus and Twitter. Um, and uh jonathan tweet or twitter's jonathan m tweets and i'm pretty active there
1: i'm at Rob Hainso on twitter and i do uh i've got a blog on blogspot and uh that's probably twitter is probably the place i'm most active
0: Nice, nice. So people should definitely uh, check you guys out. And uh, and they should check out 13th Age because it is amazing. And I assume it's the game you guys are playing tonight. Um, so, uh, so, is that right?
1: Looks like I've got half an hour before I say roll initiative. Oh, three of you aren't here. I guess you just fight the monsters alone, Jonathan. Yay. <laughs> We'll see when they show up. Yeah. I hope so, you roll uh,
0: some uh, sixes for your icons there, Jonathan. Man. Woo!
1: <laughs> oh, you know, there is one other thing to plug if you're doing it right now. Yeah. Seriously. The icon tiles that are being produced by Campaign Coins are fantastic.
0: Nice. And they're those beautiful. Are...
1: They look just like the icons in the book. And if you hold them in your hand, they're heavy and they feel right. And uh, they have two sides, so you can use them for the five or the six. Um, they're really amazing. So um, it's called um, 13th Age Coins and Icon Tiles is the name of the Kickstarter from Campaign Coins. And it's happening through the month of May. Great. Yeah. So they're great coins. Yeah. They're doing well already.
0: Um, nice. Nice. Yeah. Mike I, Shea uh, sang those praises as well. And we will make sure that, that we hit people okay. up with that link because uh, okay. it's a really, really great way to keep track of that kind of thing at the table.
1: I I I'm going to feel much safer when I'm not the only human being who possesses these things. So <laughs> let's get them out in the world.
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right, Thanks, James. Yeah, thank you guys for uh, for coming on and uh, and good luck tonight with your game and congratulations on Thirteenth Age and Clarantha and everything. So uh, yep. and uh, thank you for coming on, Gamer to Gamer. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Great thanks James people if you have a question or comment about the show you can reach out to me on Twitter at James Intercasso that's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O or you can go to the Tome Show's website thetomeshow.com and a quick shameless plug for me check out my blog it's all about Exploration Age the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me okay everybody thanks for listening and thanks to Rob and Jonathan for being on the show also many thanks to Jeff Grime and sam dylan our theme music is epic number two composed by stephen o'brien there's a link to the music at our website thetomeshow.com and don't forget to go there to use the affiliate links whenever you shop on amazon or the dms guild to help support the show remember never give up life is a game eventually you've got to roll a 20.